Thank you, Doray. Now we'll turn to our Father's Word, hear what he has to say to us. Turn to Luke chapter 19, written just outside Jerusalem, just before the first triumphal entry. This has been a great Palm Sunday morning. I, I don't remember uh, anything quite like this. In Chicago, Chris, did the kids bring, they didn't bring palm branches. Maybe they were plastic palm branches. I keep thinking, did they carry pine trees? I'm not sure. It was just such a great thing to be together with, with, that, with our children and with all of you. Luke chapter 19. One of the most profound episodes in the entire Bible. The story of Zacchaeus, beginning with verse 1. Let us stand and remember that this is our Father's word. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. And this is the Word of God. Thanks be to God. The question of Palm Sunday, as I read it, is whether things can change in this world. Is it possible for nations and politics to change, societies to change? Is it possible for a church to change for the better? And is it possible for you and me that we might be able to leave this place today changed, being more of what God would have us to be than when we walk in? That is the question of, Good Friday, of, of Palm Sunday as I read it. Uh, and in fact, as I was talking about this with my son, Brandon, he pointed me to what I am now calling my Palm Sunday song. It's on the new John Mayer album. And the song is waiting for the world to change. Waiting for the world to change. Yeah, I put the text here. Me and all my friends, we're all misunderstood. They say we stand for nothing. And there's no way we ever could. Now, we see everything that's going wrong with the world and those who lead it. We just feel like we don't have the means to rise and to beat it. And I think anybody younger than I am will probably start singing now. So we keep waiting, waiting, waiting for the world to change. We keep on waiting, waiting, waiting for the world to change. See, now this 
This sounds, for those of you who are my age, like a Bob Dylan song, doesn't it? A protest song. Looking at the world, looking at the world, seeing it's not the way it should be. Uh, knowing that the structures that are there seem to keep things the way that they are. Wanting the world to change, but not seeing where we're going to find the power to find it. I'll tell you, it's exactly what was happening in the first century when Jesus went into Jerusalem. Uh, they, they knew that the world wasn't the way that they thought it should be. The Jewish people were under the yoke of an oppressive government, the government of, of Rome. They wanted freedom from it, but it seemed like all of the people who had power were the ones who kept them under that oppression and kept them under that yoke. But they'd heard through their scriptures that a Messiah was going to come who would be able to change the world. And here came Jesus doing all of these miracles and teaching as no one had ever taught. He had been moving since Luke chapter 9 from the northern part of his country, moving relentlessly toward Jerusalem. And as he gets close to Jerusalem, they think maybe, maybe he's it. Maybe this is the one who will Hosanna, save us, save us now, which is what they were calling for. And so as he is entering into the city and those palm branches are being thrown onto the streets and the people are shouting, what they are looking for is exactly what John Mayer was looking for. That the world is going to change. And maybe he is going to do it. Maybe this is the one who will make things different. Now, I want to put that John Mayer song in juxtaposition to another revolutionary, Alexander Solzhenitsyn's Gulag Archipelago. In which in that he said, I think I've cited this to you before, that human nature changes not much faster than the geological face of the earth. So we're wondering if this change is possible, right? Uh, and if anybody could have insight into this, it would have been Solzhenitsyn, who had gone through two of the biggest experiments at social change ever in history, the Russian Revolution. You know, Solzhenitsyn had lived both under the czars and he had lived under Soviet communism. Both of them were, were experiments to try to change a whole society. The latter of them tried to change what, what it meant even to be human. But Solzhenitsyn later on was able to conclude that it, both of them were utter failures. And, and you know why? Because they had failed to reckon with the fact that no matter what system you impose upon a group of people, the basic problem is inside people, that we are all flawed, we are all frail. And as Solzhenitsyn would say, we are intractable. <laughs> we, we do not change very easily. Now, we know that some change can happen. We, we grow physically. We get to the point where I am now. I'm not growing up anymore, just kind of out. But, but we, we grow that way. We grow in terms of learning and technology. But even as we gain advances in technology and are able to control our environment more and more, what we find is it seems that we're able to control our own personal emotions and passions less and less. No matter how much education, no matter how much prestige we have, have you been reading about the news coming out of New York and the governor? And when we read about that, we say we understand that. It is what Solzhenitsyn saw, that there is something inside of us. So again, I ask, is it possible to change? It is the question of, of Palm Sunday. Well, let me tell you something today, that in spite of all of the pessimism I may give about how slow you and I are to change, there is hope. 
Because into this world, a shaft of light came. Jesus, the light of the world. And he has said that he has come to make a change. But it was so much different from what anybody could have ever imagined or anticipated. He began not with social structures, but with, within the hearts of those who would respond to him. And has said that as he begins to transform us, then we live differently in those communities in which he puts us. And we begin to make a difference in this, in this world. And on this Palm Sunday here in Pasadena, California, we get to look at one of the most profound stories in the Bible that gives us hope. It's the story of Zacchaeus. Those of you who know the story, can you imagine that your pastor says it's one of the most profound stories in the Bible? We, we think of it as kind of a little Sunday school story just for children. We want to sing that. Uh, did any of you want to start singing Zacchaeus was a wee little man? <laughs> and yet I want you to know that every time you come to this story from this morning on, I want you to look at that and say, Father, I know that because of this, there is hope for me and hope for this church and hope that things can be different because of you and because of what you can do in the hearts of people. Because what happens is that a man named Zacchaeus, uh, an older, probably proud, uh, uh, oppressive tax collector, is transformed into Zach. <laughs> I'll just put that to say it that way. A humble, kind, generous doer of good. And it didn't happen through the change of a political system. And it didn't happen through military might. It happened through something that when you read it, seems no more world transforming than a man going over to his house for a cup of tea. It really happened through a personal meeting with, with Jesus. And I'll tell you what you're able to think is this. If Jesus could do this for Zacchaeus, there is hope for change for us all. Now, our time goes by quickly, so we're going to race through this story. But what a wonderful story it is. Luke tells it in four scenes. Scene number one, he tells us about the man. Have your Bible, verses one through three again. Jesus entered Jericho. He was just passing through. I love the way it's put. It just looks like nothing's going to happen there, right? Just has to get, go through Jericho to get to Jerusalem. But there was a man there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. He was wealthy. Now, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but he was short. So in this character development in this narrative, we're told three things about Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. He was wealthy. And at least in my translation, he was Short, but probably if Zach, if Luke had been writing now, he would use a more politically correct. He was vertically challenged or, you know, some something like this. Now, when we see those sorts of things, we see those sorts of those descriptions. We begin to wonder what happened in his life that brought him to this point. Uh, was it nature or nurture? Was it his family or was it his, his genes, his, his chromosomes? And, it, and probably we all come to see that it's a little bit of both. But certainly there was just certain things about his family that made him this way. Um, I was thinking, even as DeRay was speaking, when you had Jeff in that shopping cart, I was thinking of that. Parents, have you ever had a, a child who's very active in a shopping cart when you go into the supermarket? Yes, mothers are smiling more than, than fathers. You go down through that aisle this, and, and you're trying to you put them up in that, that section up there where you try to confine your child. 
And yet some children are just unconfinable. My, my mother tells me that I was one of these, which might ring true to you. And all the time as the mother's trying to shop, she's trying to control him. But as they turn around that aisle where they have the, the ketchup and the mustard in this particular store, they still have glass bottles. She turns one way and suddenly behind her, she hears crash, splash. And on the ground, she sees the beautiful red and yellow of the ketchup and the mustard. And some of it's become orange as it gets there. And all of us are, are sort of gathered around. And what does the mother say? She looks around a bit embarrassed and says something like this. Well, what can you expect? He takes after his father, you know. <laughs> And the problem is that he does. He, the problem is that he does. And, and I've always seen that. That's one of the most difficult things about a family. Those things that I see about myself that, that I want God to change now. I, I see them being passed on to my children. T- take Zacchaeus. He's described as being vertically challenged. Do you think his father was? Likely. Likely. Nothing Zacchaeus could do about it. But what we begin thinking, and it shows you how I think about this, we begin thinking about what impact that had upon him. Do you think that as he grew up in the local, if we put it into our context, yeshiva or the school, and they were forming basketball teams, he was always the last one chosen? Do you know know what what that does to our psyche? Don't you think that sometimes he thought, someday... I'm going to get those tall people someday. I I don't know if that happened, but it makes sense to me. Something had led him into this rotten profession. And it was a rotten profession. uh, Being a tax collector in the first century world. Now I have to stop. Every church I've been in has had at least one IRS agent, including this one, in case you wondered. So I need you to know, you know, I need you to know that being a tax collector in the first century is not the same as being an internal revenue service agent in, in our world. It isn't. It's, a, it's an honorable profession now if you do it right, just like every other profession. Being, an, being a tax collector, <laughs> being a tax collector in the first century world was much more like someone who would own one of those stores where they sell things that you know they are used uh, for drugs to keep our children under the oppression of drugs. And though it may be technically legal, it's still the kind of thing that any upstanding family and parent says, we want nothing to do with that shop owner. Do you, do you know what I'm getting at? What the tax collector did in the first century world was collected taxes to keep his own people under oppression. He, he was required by the Roman government to collect so much per capita. And then anything that he was able to get above that, he could keep for himself. Now, do you see how this system can lead toward extortion? Now, you know, I've, I've preached in Chicago. When I preached this sort of message in Chicago, I'd always say, we in Chicago understand this, don't we? Now, we in Pasadena, now, I'm sure we don't have any of that here. Right? Right? Well, they, they had it. And, and their people were being kept under oppression by this system. And this man was one of these men, and I'll tell you, he was good at it. How do I know? Because he was wealthy. In fact, he had risen to become a chief tax collector. There's so many things that I could say about him, but let me just say this. This is the kind of man that we would expect never to change. 
DeRay, this is the kind of man you would have put his name in here just to test God, see how much power he really has. Uh, a man later on in his life, successful in his occupation, has clout in the society. This is the man we would expect never to change. So we have a test case. Do you see it? And yet when I read this story, there is something in the heart of this man that it seems to me longs for something to be different. Something led him up a tree one day. It takes us to scene number two. I call it the encounter, the encounter. Look at verse three. Now, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short and he could not see over the crowd, he ran ahead and he climbed up the sycamore fig tree to see Jesus since Jesus was coming that way. Isn't there something almost comical about this scene? This this eminent, affluent political bureaucrat named Zacchaeus shinning up a tree, hoping nobody would see him, seeing over the head of the crowd, just wanting to see Jesus. Can you imagine anything happening like that in the 21st century Southern California? I try to imagine it. Uh, can you imagine? I'm just making this up that, that the governor of California may make some decisions that people were unhappy with uh, cutting back funds on education or you know, <laughs> just, you know Something like that, that, that some people weren't really happy with. And, and so, but he had heard great things were happening in that, that big church there on, on the 210 and, and, and Lake Avenue. So on one Sunday morning, he gets there really early because he knows he's not popular and then church people are going to yell at him. So where is he? He's hiding up here somewhere. Now, our governor would be harder to hide than Zacchaeus was, I, I think. Hiding up here somewhere. Can you imagine that happening? You're, you're, you're risking your reputation. You're, you're risking making a fool of yourself. What could have made Zacchaeus do this? And the Bible gives us this one wonderful little phrase. He wanted to see who Jesus was. So just some curiosity. Can God work with curiosity? Uh, seeing a neighbor going to church and saying, I don't do that, maybe I should, and just showing up one day. Uh, I was a youth pastor for a long time. Uh, we had so many young men come into our high school group simply because we had nice-looking girls there. Well, they weren't even curious about God. They were just curious about who was in the group. But just that curiosity was something that God is able to seize. I don't know what brings you here today. Maybe just some curiosity. Maybe that's what brings you into this place. Let me tell you. God can work with that. We could do with a little bit more good, honest curiosity in our day. Whatever brought Zacchaeus to that place and sent him up that tree that day, I don't think he expected what was going to happen. Look at verse 5 again. He was up the tree. Jesus in the crowd heading that way. I love how Luke writes this. So that when Jesus reached the spot, He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down right now. I must go over to your house today. How do you read the Bible? When I read this, all sorts of questions pop into my mind like these. How did Jesus know he was there? How did Jesus know his name? And I think the biggest question that I wonder about this thing is this. Of all of the people in Jericho that day, why did Jesus pick on Zacchaeus? Because pick on him, he did. He doesn't offer him any opportunity, just, just a command and an assumption. Come down right now. I'm coming over to your house. I'm going to invade your space, and I'm coming into your home. Now, let me tell you, some of you know this already. 
But for any of you who are newcomers to this matter of the Christian faith, there's something about Jesus that you must know. He has a disturbing knack of turning curiosity into encounter. Have you ever noticed that? Come to church out of habit. Maybe your parents forced you to be here. Maybe your spouse wanted you to be here. Just tried to hold it all at arm's length and then boom, it's as if God is speaking directly to you. Uh, you, you went to sort of examine the place and now you feel like you're the one under examination. Isn't this how God works? That when we find out that God knows our name and that he breaks into those hiding places. Can't you imagine that day with Zacchaeus? Jesus in the crowd walking closer and closer. Don't you the noose getting tighter? Zacchaeus trying to hide and look at the same time. Jesus reaches the spot. Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, can't you imagine him saying, Jesus, shh, shh, just pass on by. I've just come to see you today. And essentially Jesus saying, no, no, no. Zacchaeus, you did not come to see me. I came to change you. All right, what do you do when that happens? What do you do when God breaks into your life and you know that he is there and that he knows your name? I'll tell you what we usually feel like doing. We, we feel like holding him at arm's length and running, saying, I'm never showing up at that church again. I'm going to set up golf times every Sunday morning for the next two years. I'm not going to come into there. I'm not going to talk with that neighbor again. Isn't that what we feel like doing? But you can never run successfully. Because I want to tell you that once God has broken into your life at any point and says, I know what's happening and I want to change that, I want to remake that, he will always be after you because he is seeking, he is seeking to save you. That's the encounter. That brings me to the third part of the story, the response. It's one of my favorite parts of the story. I like the other parts, too. This is great. Chapter 19, verse 6. So, look what Zacchaeus did. He came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Now, there's something. There's something. What made Zacchaeus, this man that we didn't expect to change, come down immediately, respond immediately to Jesus and welcome him with so much joy? You know, I read this and I think it was more than curiosity that took him up that tree. I think it is the reality of living in this world and knowing that there had to be more to live for than he had found up to this point. I think that he had come to a point in his life when he knew that all that he had lived for had not really brought satisfaction and was looking for something to be different. And maybe, maybe some of us are here that way too. We come into the life of the church. Sometimes we know that there are some areas of our lives that are wrong or some things that have happened in the past that we want a new start. Uh, there may have been a broken marriage or a, a moral indiscretion, uh, a financial deal that seemed to wreck all of your life. You want a, a new beginning or maybe like Zacchaeus, you'd hit a point where everything you've lived for, you see that it's not eternal. And you come in and open up this word and wonder if there's something more that God made you for. I think that that's what led to this enthusiasm in Zacchaeus' response. And, and if you think it was just a, a public political figure wanting to do a show for all the religious people following Jesus, do you know that verse 8 won't allow that? 
Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. God had touched his his possessions. He had touched his pocketbook. And we know that he was touching his life. One of the things I know even about our church with the wonderful giving that's been taking place. I know that God is touching the hearts of people. Because where our treasure is, that's where our hearts are. And right now we're seeing where Zacchaeus' heart is. This is the real thing. This is the person you and I are looking for on Palm Sunday. Is it possible to change? What Jesus does is he takes a person that you would never expect to change and he begins to do his wonderful work of transformation. Now, I need to have you listen to me for a moment. We just only get ten verses to tell a whole life. Uh, This change happens usually in in a longer process, doesn't it? It begins where we give our lives to Christ. He takes our sins and washes them away and begins to transform areas of our life. But it is really a lifelong process until he's done with us. At least that's my experience. Uh, You know, my father became a Christian when I was 30 years old, when he was 30 years old. Um, He had been addicted to nicotine. And when he trusted Christ, he was able to put that away immediately. So one area had that immediate transformation. And now that he's been a Christian so long, sometimes he'll say, there's some other areas that I kind of wish he'd started with. (laughs) Because that's the way it is, isn't it? There are areas of our lives that are still need to be transformed, but it begins here. Where God breaks in and says, I love you. I know your name. It's not by chance, by coincidence that you are here. Now I want you to respond and I will transform you. And in fact, this process is one that I find happening again and again. You come into church, a message is opened. It's as if God is speaking directly to you. You see an area of your life, your thought life, your, the way you handle your finances, all sorts of things. And God breaks in and says, that area, I must have it too. I must have it too. And you have a decision to make. Will you come at once and receive him gladly, receive his forgiveness, and allow him to transform you? C.S. Lewis writes about that in a wonderful little essay that he wrote that I went back and looked at again. It's, um, the essay, Is Christianity Hard or Easy? Talking about how the mandate of Christ is that we, as he reveals these things to us, that we give him all of ourselves. Not that we sort of give him our sins and say, I believe, and then live our own lives. And so this is what he wrote. The almost impossibly hard thing to hand over is your whole self to Christ. It is far easier than what we're trying to do instead, which is sometimes just give little pieces. For what we are trying to do is remain what we call ourselves. So our personal happiness, centered on on money and pleasure or ambition, and hoping, despite this, then to behave honestly and chastely and humbly. And this is exactly what Christ warned us you cannot do. If I'm a grass field, all the cutting will keep the grass less, but it won't produce wheat. If I want wheat, I must be plowed up and resown. This, this is the thing I see about Zacchaeus. He enters, he gets right into his personal space, doesn't he, up that tree. It comes right into his home and comes right into his possessions and says, give it all to me and I will begin to remake you into what I made you to be. But the response is to receive, which brings me to the last point. I've called it the verdict. 
Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. This man, too, is a son of Abraham. All right, there are two parts to this verdict. Uh, this one is directly to Zacchaeus. Now, you have to understand this. You've got to remember that Jesus was on his way toward Jerusalem. He'd been heading there for a long time, and he had been telling people why he had come. They were hoping he would set up a political or military sort of power government. He kept telling them, that's not why I've come. The real problem that we have, as Solzhenitsyn saw, is with what is inside of our hearts. We're not going to transform a church or a world until the hearts of people are transformed. Until we become less self-centered and more God and other-centered. I, I must deal with your hearts. I have come to die because you need to be forgiven. I have come to rise again so that you'll have power to live a new life. That's why I've come. And he'd been trying. He'd been trying to find ways to communicate this. He had done miracles. He had told stories. He had spoken clearly, but they still didn't get it. They still thought he's going to come and set up a military government. In, in case you don't believe me, look at verse 11. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem. And the people still thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. And, the, and that the reign of God was going to be in this political way. So what is he going to do to demonstrate why he has come and how he can change people and change the world? I tell you, he does the most powerful thing of all. He takes one man. Arguably, the man least likely to change in their whole society. And he saves him. And because he did that, you and I have the opportunity to think that what he did for him, he can do for us. And he could do for Harriet. And he can do for all who will know him and trust him. The first part of the verdict is, so Zacchaeus, today... Salvation has come to this house. Don't you think he rejoiced? And then he said, because you need to know this man, too, is in the family. He's in the family of Abraham. I can imagine some of those people saying, if a tax collector is in the family, I don't know if I want to be in that family. And probably they didn't. Because then the verdict transcends just the time of Zacchaeus and comes to all of us. Because Jesus says, this is why I have come. Everybody's going to be singing Hosanna, save us now, but they don't want real salvation. I have come to do the real thing, not just to transform one government at one point in history, but to offer hope to all who believe. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. I'm one of those. Are you? I'm one of those. And you can be. And this message is the one we've been entrusted with to carry to this world. And even this morning, if somehow God has broken into your life and shown you areas that need to be given to him, perhaps your whole life, my call to you is to respond as Zacchaeus did. In which, here and now, he was called to believe. And immediately he came down and welcomed Jesus gladly. Now, I can imagine some of us saying, well, that works out okay for the first century. But, you know, we're in Southern California. We don't work that way.
you know, preacher, whenever you call people to trust Jesus or to give this part of their lives to Jesus, we need a little time to think about this. Not here and now. Not today. Uh, Next week, I'll come back and we'll think about it again. Do you know what Jesus would say? When I call you, respond. And when the word of God breaks into your life and you know there are things you need to give to him, respond here and now. And I never want you to forget that Jesus never passed through Jericho again. Let us pray. Father, as we have gathered here, I am sure that there are some like Zacchaeus who have had interest in you but wonder if you're real. May this be the day that they simply trust you. That they come to the point of saying that they need Jesus and that this is their day of rescue and salvation. Do your work even now. For the rest of us, Father, I pray that you would shed the light of your word on other parts of our lives. Our thoughts, our habits, our relationships, our values. Show us areas that need to be given to you here and now. That we've held on to our own. We give them to you, Father. Knowing that what we give to you, you can remake and change into something that brings glory and honor to your name. We long for this in Jesus' name. Amen.